Welcome everyone, this is a podcast for the PR Assembly. It's a pleasure to have you here today listening to us and this is today about the highlights of PR uh, Assembly in the last ATS conference. My name is Guto Camilo, I am from the State University of Londrina in Brazil and together with me today I have Professor Marilyn Moy from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. Marilyn is a pulmonologist and clinical researcher at VA Boston Healthcare System. She is also the chair of the PR Assembly Program Committee in 2016-2017 and was the chair elect in 2015. So basically her role for us is to keep bringing year after year the hot topics and the top-notch quality advances on PR for the attendees of the conference. Marilyn, thank you very much for accepting the invitation yeah, thank you, Guto, for this invitation. I'm excited to talk with you today, and thank you so much for that introduction. So, the, the objective of this podcast is to provide the ATS members with the highlights of the last ATS conference that took place in Washington, D.C. in May 2017. This is the second time we do it, so if you haven't had a chance to check last year's podcast or any of our previous podcasts, I strongly encourage you to visit our website and check them out. So, before we start, it's important that we know that, as already a tradition, the Assembly on Pulmonary Rehabilitation has a very active participation during the conference. In this year's conference, for example, the Assembly was directly involved in the organization of one postgraduate course, two symposia, including one pro and con session, which we will talk shortly about it, and one jointly developed uh, symposia, one sunrise seminar, one midi professor and one mini symposia, which we also know as our presentation session, one poster discussion and four poster sessions. So there was a lot ongoing specifically on the topic of pulmonary rehabilitation. Marilyn, I think before we start discussing the content of the sessions, uh, we know that assembling a program of a conference such as ATS is something that just doesn't happen overnight. Could you let us know what is it like to come up with the topics? Sure. Yeah, it is a very complicated process, and so hopefully I can dispel some of the myths. Um, so I want to emphasize that anyone in can in any assembly can submit an idea to the pulmonary rehabilitation assembly. Mm -hmm. uh, it is always helpful to connect with either the chair or chair elect or another member of the program committee, mm -hmm. since we have a, a big picture. Of, the, of all the topics that are being under consideration so that we can prevent duplication. We know that a lot of our topics that, um, you know, that are presented in pulmonary rehabilitation are ones that are used, you know, that are familiar across all assemblies and particularly with clinical problems and respiratory structure and function in terms of, you know, exercise testing um, and pulmonary function testing, as well as topics like dyspnea and um, self-management. You know, those topics are also topics that are popular with the nursing assembly, for example. Mm -hmm. And so it's really helpful to, um, you know, to be able to do this across assemblies. And so you're right. So the topics are discussed the previous year. So, for example, um, you know, at the 2017 meeting, we yes. discussed topics for the 2018, topics for, the, for assembling the 2018 meeting. Um, and so at the 2017 meeting, the program committee members you know, informally discuss topics. And, and it's really there that um, you know, we put people to work. And so it's very easy for people to come up with topics, but for somebody to actually go to the website in June, which quickly comes up after the May meeting, 
to actually put in the, the program to input it, um, it takes more effort. And so you know, at this meeting in May, um, we, people are assigned their, their duties. You know, we talk about the topics and then everybody volunteers to actually put the proposal together. Um, and it's, it, I also want to get across that it's the, what is actually programmed is a team effort. And so when the pro proposals are submitted online um, by members, either in the committee or outside the program committee, you know, they are, they're scored by the entire program committee. And it's really the top ranking proposals that are programmed. Mm -hmm. Certainly we think about the topics that were proposed and programmed in previous years to, to avoid doing them, um, you know, again, too soon. Um, and as you already pointed out, the program, the pulmonary rehabilitation assembly is given a certain number of slots based upon the size of our assembly. And so we try to work within those constraints. Um, and the role of the chair and the chair-elect are really to support the people who, who you know, propose their topics. And we recognize that that takes a lot of effort and time. And so we try to program everything that we can. And so, for example, mm -hmm. you know, we had a sunrise seminar that was um, accepted, that wasn't, you know, ranked very highly um, because we only have that one slot. And so we tried, to, we actually incorporated it as a topic in our, in our postgraduate course. And so we're, we, our goal is really to try to program as many t um, topics as we can for the, for the entire meeting. So even if someone proposes something that cannot immediately be fit into a specific session, like you mentioned for the Raising uh, Sunrise Seminar, it also has a chance yet, if it's interesting and the committee judges it's interesting, you still have a chance to have it allocated in another session in the conference. Yes, and definitely, Fantastic. and that's why it's important to you know to touch base with the chairs and the mm -hmm. chair elect early, so that we can have it you know in a, to be aware of it, so that we know that oh this could fit nicely into a scientific symposium um, or a postgraduate course, and so that if it isn't programmed because of our limited number of slots, that we can do that, and and we also certainly try to stay in touch with um, the chair and chair elects of the of other program, uh, other assemblies, so that. If we know that this can fit in nicely with something that they're proposing, that we can um, put that forth as well. So maybe one of the messages here that we should uh, tell our listeners is that if you come to the conference or if you have an idea during the conference or even after the conference, you should definitely tell the committee because it's using this information that you construct the next conference, next year's conference, right? Yes, definitely. And we, we always welcome new ideas. You know, we can only go through the topics that we have um, so many times. And, and, yeah. and, you know, we're definitely welcoming new ideas. And, and the other um, issue I wanted to bring up is that certainly if something isn't programmed for the upcoming year, we always keep it as a topic for the, for the next round. Um, and that's why we have chair elects. You know, they were on this committee for two to three years, and so we have a memory of what has been programmed, mm -hmm. what has been proposed, what hasn't been, um, you know, actually programmed, so that we can use it for for the subsequent years. Okay, thank you, Marilyn, for the nice and detailed explanation about the conference program. So I believe we can start discussing the program itself and begin with the symposia titled "Hot Topics in Pulmonary Rehabilitation." This symposium was conducted as a pro and con debate, which is a typical session where renowned speakers debate on areas 
of controversy in the field of pulmonary rehabilitation. Would you like to tell us what were the topics covered during the session and also what were your impressions on the debates created? Sure, Guto. So I'll just go through the, the topics first and then I can give you my impressions. So we first are, we had a pro-con looking at whether we can or cannot increase access to pulmonary rehabilitation. And Dr. Rochester from New Haven took the pro side and, um, and, and Chris Garvey from San Francisco took the con side. Our second topic was a, um, a pro-con looking at whether a mortality study is needed or is or is not needed to prove efficacy of pulmonary rehabilitation. This was a very spirited debate between Dr. Casaberry mm -hmm. um, as well as Dr. Chelly. Then we moved on to whether um, add-ons should be used or not used in conventional pulmonary rehabilitation. Dr. Bott from Birmingham, Alabama took the pro side and Dr. DeMayer from Leuven uh, took the con side. We also had a pro-con debate in terms of whether pulmonary rehabilitation should or should not be delivered in the home setting. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Holland from Australia took the pro side and Dr. Bourbeau from Montreal took the con side. Yes. Um, and then finally, we wrapped up with a pro-con discussion about whether directly measured physical activity should or should not be routinely assessed in clinical care. Dr. Trusters uh, took the pro side and Dr. Wynn from um, Kaiser Permanente in California took the con side. This was a very well attended uh, session. We were quite pleased with the, um, with the discussion as well, both from the audience as well as by our, our uh, debaters. Um, I think the, the gist of this pro-con debate was really looking at you know, access and adherence to pulmonary rehabilitation and how we can improve those issues. Um, you know, the highlights, I think, of the pro-con debate looking at access was, was really the statistics that was put forth um, by you know, Dr. Nishi's um, publication in 2016, which highlighted that you know, this study looked at over 33,000 Medicare beneficiaries with COPD between 2003 to 2012. Mm -hmm. They found that only 3.7% of these beneficiaries used pulmonary rehabilitation in yeah. 2012. And they were actually able to show that over time, there was only a very small increase in utilization. It was 1.1% over the 10 years of the study. And this study was brought up over and over again, both by doctors, you know, Rochester, um, mm -hmm. Garvey, as well as, um, you know, Casaberry and Shelley in their pro-con debates. And really highlights how, you know, we have huge barriers to access as well as to, yes. to in keeping patients engaged with pulmonary rehab. Um, certainly, the you know, the pro con the highlights of the pro con debate by doctors Casaberry and Shelley, um, you know, were, the take home message really was that, you know, can we really do a study of mortality? Because, you know, can we actually assign patients to placebo for five to seven years, waiting for a mortality endpoint when we know that pulmonary rehabilitation is standard of care and is there really mm -hmm. equipoise in in a, a randomizing somebody to um, to placebo. And you know, Dr. Casaberry noted that it's really marketing and mortality that has allowed us to use bronchodilators and supplemental oxygen on such a wide scale. And so that's mm -hmm. why he felt strongly that we needed the mortality issue to be settled for pulmonary rehabilitation. 
Um, you know, the add-ons and the, the directly measured physical activity, I think, um, you know, the, the, the debaters did a great job using the data that we have that are published, but certainly, you know, the conclusions still are awaiting more um, confirmatory publications um, in the literature in terms of whether we should or should not use add-ons mm -hmm. and whether we should or should not use directly measured physical activity in the clinical setting at this time. Um, Dr. Wynn, I think, did a very uh, nice comprehensive assessment, both from, from many different perspectives, including the providers and healthcare systems, and noted the burden of directly measuring physical activity on, this, on the healthcare system, and noted and, and pointed out whether self-reported exercise could, could be good enough. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was quite um, thought-provoking. And then finally, the highlight for, you know, whether physical pulmonary rehabilitation could be delivered in the home setting or not. Dr. Holland made a great point that she thought program completion was more important than program location um, and highlighted the lack of dedicated space and equipment for conventional pulmonary rehabilitation and, and really, um, you know, again, hit, brought home the idea of whether um, she thought that it should be delivered at home. And, and I think it raised for the audience whether pulmonary rehabilitation um, you know, whether we stick to the, def the, the very strict definition of, of, you know, strength training, aerobic exercise, and education in the home setting, or whether we can have modifications of that when mm -hmm. we're thinking about delivering pulmonary rehabilitation outside of, of the um, supervised hospitalized setting. And then I wanted to conclude ab about this session by, um, by adding that we do have re um, our feedback already from our, our attendees. And so we were able to see that over half of them, 54% of the people who were able to, who responded to this, to the feedback questionnaire said that they would actually change what they did to, for the patient care based upon attending this session. Oh, and so some nice. of their responses were that they were interested in including add-ons to their pulmonary rehabilitation program, that they would uh, make more effort to refer more patients to pulmonary rehabilitation, that they would broaden the scope for, for patient referrals, and that they were just more aware of pulmonary rehabilitation being a resource for their patients. So overall, I felt like this was a, a, a major success, um, and then we have this positive feedback from our attendees as well. Okay, the next topic we are going to discuss is a, another symposium entitled Pulmonary Rehabilitation Across Healthcare Settings. Would you like to tell us what were the co topics covered during the session? And also, can you perhaps summarize it as a message to take home? So the topics of this session span the entire, uh, you know, the healthcare setting spectrum. So uh, Dr. Franson from the Netherlands started off by looking um, discussing early outpatient rehabilitation in newly diagnosed patients um, with chronic respiratory mm -hmm. disease. Uh, we moved on to the acute setting where uh, Dr. Greening from the UK talked about hospital-based early mobility and pulmonary rehabilitation in patients hospitalized for acute exacerbations. Um, and then Dr. Van Flateren from the Netherlands talked about long-term inpatient pulmonary rehabilitation in patients mm -hmm. with the most severe disease. So we looked at different spectrums um, across healthcare settings as well as disease severity. And then Dr. Needham from the U.S. looked at early mobilization of respiratory patients in the intensive care unit. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Dr. Maddox from the UK looked at pulmonary rehabilitation in the pre- and post-operative setting in patients undergoing lung surgery. And finally, Dr. Novich from New York here in the US discussed pulmonary rehabilitation and exercise in nursing home residents with lung disease. So again, the take-home message here is really about um, you know, being more aware of using pulmonary rehabilitation um, mm -hmm. across the healthcare settings, that we needed more uh, awareness in terms of safety as well as institutional resources, um, in terms of personnel and equipment that mm -hmm. we needed um, in order to continue to develop um, these, these uh, you know, to be able to deliver pulmonary rehab in, across these healthcare settings. And again, that it was there was discussion about the definition of pulmonary rehab. You know, in terms mm -hmm. of you know the strict definition in terms of using pulmonary rehab for cardiopulmonary fitness versus exercise. Um, you know, in terms of physical therapy and early mobilization and and um, pulm and physical activity more for um, increasing activity um, across these healthcare settings. And again, we do have some feedback from our attendees here. Um, nearly a third of them, 32%, said that they did, that they would change what they did in their clinical, in their patient care based upon attending this session. And some of their feedback was that um, they recognized the importance of early pulmonary rehab in patients with newly diagnosed COPD, um, and that being that they were more now more aware of early mobilization in the intensive care unit settings. And do you personally feel that we have enough evidence on all these settings this, where we usually apply pulmonary rehabilitation? Did you feel from the presentations that you have strong evidence to provide PR, for example, both either at the ICU units or outpatient clinics or at home setting, pre and post-operative? How, how was your impression about the evidence that was reported? Yeah, that's a very good question. And there's certainly the evidence, um, the strength of the evidence ranges. Um, mm -hmm. I, I believe that there is strong evidence for you know, early PR in patients who are newly diagnosed with COPD, for example. Um, certainly pulmonary rehabilitation after acute exacerbations um, has, has gained momentum and, and there are enough and there's data to support that. And there's certainly more limited data in mm -hmm. terms of um, you know, pulmonary rehab in the ICU setting. Yes. And again, it's pulmonary, it's the def, you know, what is pulmonary rehab? And, and is mm -hmm. it really, yeah, um, you know, really physical therapy that we're offering patients in the ICU setting when there's mm -hmm. more evidence to support that than, you know, trying to increase cardiopulmonary fitness in the ICU when mm -hmm. patients have just, are, are trying to, you know, recover from a, a severe illness. Um, so, so yes, it, I think the, again, the debate, the, the presenters did, uh, you know, did a wonderful job with the data that are available, but they uh, they certainly highlighted that there's more work to be done. All right, let's talk about a different type of session now. Uh, the pulmonary rehabilitation assembly also held a postgraduate course titled "Practical Outcome Tools in COPD from Clinical Care to Clinical Trials." Postgraduate courses are pre-conference meetings that are designed to last a full day. This one specifically had 18 sessions, 18 presentations in it. Uh, they were all presented by renowned researchers and clinicians that were teaching on a specific topic of interest. Could you give us, Marilyn, an overview of what was it and what were the topics covered? 
Uh, sure. So this was a very, we were quite pleased with the attendance at this postgraduate course. It was actually programmed on a Friday. So yeah, those are always, um, you know, some people really want need to want to come to your postgraduate course if they're going to come early to the ATS meetings um, you know, beforehand. And so this was a, this was a session that you know, we were quite pleased because the attendees ranged from clinicians to researchers to members of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and so, so it was relevant to, a, to a, a large portion of the members of our assembly as well as to ATS. And so the topics were, um, you know, we could broadly categorized as field walk te field walking tests. Mm -hmm. um, so there was discussion about the six minute walk test, the shuttle walk test, our traditional um, you know cycle ergometry and cardiopulmonary exercise testing, mm -hmm. um, and then there were also more um, you know up to date uh, talks about current tools such as measurements of sarcopenia and frailty and muscle mass um, in terms of peripheral muscle function. So that was a very nice balance there. Mm -hmm. And then we moved on in the middle of the day to patient-centered outcomes. There were uh, discussions in terms of measuring balance, um, directly measuring physical activity, using questionnaires to measure activities of daily living. Um, and certainly um, our traditional measures of dyspnea as well as health-related quality of life. We heard about um, you know, p the past data to support use of these as well as more current data. Um, and then, the, to, and then to, at the end of the session, we had a discussion about topics that were at a more, um, that, you know, are more um, hot topics that are, are currently um, you know, looking that are currently being actively studied. Mm -hmm. And so we looked at, um, there were discussions about hospital admissions um, in terms of COPD exacerbations and whether those could be outcomes. And, um, and then certainly um, we looked, we heard about the COPD biomarker qualification consortium and how they're using an industry, which biomarkers they're using mm -hmm. um, in terms of uh, clinical trials. Anxiety and depression and pain are, are important topics that were looked at in terms of outcomes in clinical trials as well as clinical care. And then um, the entire session ended with um, looking at the future in terms of whether we can look, be using genetics and genomics um, in our global assessment of patients with COPD. So finally, it is important to know that the aim of pulmonary rehabilitation assembly is to provide an environment where researchers from all parts of the globe can meet and share their work. Therefore, the oral presentations, poster discussion and thematic posters sessions help to disseminate participants' work and help increasing quality of research as feedback is provided. Could you let us know how many abstracts were submitted to the PR assembly this year? So in tw for the 2017 meeting, there were initially 87 abstracts that were submitted to mm -hmm. the pulmonary rehab assembly. As you know, the abstract um, submission will open for the 2018 meetings this coming November. Um, so we'll look forward to those submissions. Um, and as some of you may know, over the last couple of years, the ATS has, has moved towards trying to find the right home for each abstract rather than having mm -hmm. abstracts be submitted to particular assemblies. And so there have been a move towards, you know, submitting to different topics rather than directly to specific assemblies. Mm -hmm. 
So in to get a better visibility. In December yes. of each year, there's um, a, a meeting of all of the chairs and chair-elects of the program committees, mm -hmm. and there, um, abstracts that aren't don't fit specifically into the each you know assembly themselves are put up for discussion and and we find the right home for each of them. And so after that meeting, we ultimately came out with about 100 abstracts for the pulmonary rehabilitation Fantastic. assembly that were programmed into the thematic poster sessions. Mm -hmm. um, and as you mentioned, for the, um, the poster discussion session and then the mini symposium. Oh, that's, that's very nice because it certainly increases the chance that your abstract will have a better visibility, right? So you have more people interested in your topics coming to your presentation. Yes, and there's there, that's definitely the the move for the ATS mm -hmm. is to actually increase the crosstalk between assemblies so that we again it's not about how many numbers of, of abstracts each assembly has, but really the emphasis has been about where to where the abstract fits in best, and it's so that the presenter can be also be surrounded by other investigators who have the same interests, so that we can optimize you know their presentation and their their presence at the meetings. So yet on the abstracts, we, we know that ATS has an initiative to award the best abstracts submitted to the conference every year. I believe that our listeners would like to know what are the type of work that are being granted in our assembly. Um, could you give us then an, a brief idea about the numbers of awarded abstracts we have? And also, what were the topics covered in these abstracts? Sure. So we were quite pleased to award about 20 um, awards this year for for the highest ranking abstracts. And the, the and the best way to make sure that you're being considered for these awards is that when you submit your abstract, that if you are a trainee and um, that you check off that box. Um, and it's because they're, they're all the abstracts when they come to us. Um, for, to the program committee for assessment um, and for scoring, we they are specifically tagged as being from somebody who is in training, and so we we want to make sure that that happens. Um, and then we basically the com program committee scores the abstracts, and the highest ranking abstracts are are the ones that are awarded the travel. Um, and other grants, and so mm -hmm. it's important to know that to, to mark them as such. And the topics really have ranged for, uh, across um, the board. And so, you know, we've had again abstracts looking at topics such as um, sarcopenia and frailty be awarded, inspiratory muscle training, um, online uh, ways to implement pulmonary rehabilitation via telemedicine, looking at home-based ways to present um, pulmonary rehabilitation. We, there were also abstracts awarded looking at adjuncts to pulmonary rehabilitation, including nocturnal non-invasive ventilation, as well as Tai Chi. Um, so it really runs the whole um, spectrum of topics. Um, and and it, it's nice because our pulmonary rehab assembly, as many of you know, um, is, a, is a broad mix of, of members from the U.S. as well as from you know, Europe um, and, the, and the Americas. And so it's, it's been quite a pleasure working with everyone across the world, really. And, and the predominance of our awards have been to pe people outside of mm -hmm. the U.S. Um, and so it's, it's been a very um, rewarding system in terms of um, trying to help people come to the ATS meeting. That helps a lot to internationalize also the conference, eh? which, yes, is very, definitely. which is very nice. All right. 
Marilyn, I think we are wrapping up here our podcast. Uh, it was a amazing time and great experience to hear from the chair of the programme of the PR Assembly how deep is the construction of 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 the conference and how wide also is the is what is covered. So we great we deeply thank you for for the interview and for your time for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much.